Welcome to Moms Gone Mental. I'm your host, Sarah Witt. Hey, welcome back. Um, we have a ton to talk about. I'm going to skip the small talk and we're just going to dive right in. All right, today to talk with me, I have Charity, who is a fellow Michigan mom. Charity, will you introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Charity Hoffman. I was born in Michigan, but left when I was four and did not grow up here and moved back in my 20s to go to grad school. I grew up in Japan and New York City, and I am the third of 12 kids. Wow. (laughs) So when I was in college in New York, I was a sociology major. I had a professor tell me once that I was one of the few people who would find motherhood easier than I expected because of my big family. She was like, you have so much experience with kids. When you finally have your own, you're only going to have one at a time, God willing, not 12, (laughs) maybe two or three at once, but not 12. Um, And so, you know, it'll be a breeze. And was it? No, I think, I think she set me up for disappointment. Um, but I think I tend to study things that I'm anxious about. And so after college, I had a lot of anxiety about marriage and trying to decide who to marry and how do you know and what happens when it all goes wrong. <laughs> so I ended up interviewing like 80 people about marriage on a cross-country road trip. And then I went to grad school a few years later, and I was like, oh, what else am I anxious? I mean, obviously, this was not the thought at the yeah. time, but I was, I had a lot of questions about motherhood and how okay. do people, like, it, it looks so hard, but but people figure it out and how do they do it? And so I decided to interview new moms about their first year of motherhood. So I interviewed over 50 new moms about their first year. And again, like kind of thought I knew what I was getting myself into when I decided to become a mom a few years <laughs> later. And... Nothing prepared me for the circumstances under which I became a mom, which is that the week I got pregnant, I lost my little brother to suicide. Wow. My pregnancy was rough. And then at the tail end of my pregnancy, the pandemic hit the world. And so about a month after my daughter was born, Michigan went into lockdown and we were further quarantined than early motherhood already quarantines you. Wow. Being a first-time brand-new mom is ridiculously hard enough how it is. You've got this joy of a newborn baby, but it's hard when your mental health is struggling at the same time. One of the things you said to me was you thought you knew what you were getting into when you decided to become a mom. (laughs) And then you shared the personal aspect of your brother. Will you talk a little bit about what happened? Yeah, so um, a little background. So I'm from a big, close-knit family. I'm the third oldest. My brother was... 13 years younger than me. So he was 21 when he passed. I was in my mid-30s. In terms of what was going on in my life, I had finished my PhD the year prior. I had gotten married that fall of 2018. And then my husband and I were in our mid-30s at that point and kind of debating, do we want to take a next step in our career? Do we want to think about starting a family? We ended up applying for a job that would have like let us travel the country interviewing people together. And thought, like, if we get that, maybe we'll put off starting a family. And if we don't, maybe we'll think about trying to have a baby, which, you know, knowing from my interviews that that can take a really long time, mm-hmm. that deciding you're ready to be a mom and becoming a mom are not the yeah. same thing. So um, that March, we found out that we did get the job, but that it was going to be a significant pay cut and was going <laughs> to involve moving to rural West Virginia. Hmm. 
and we just decided um, for that stage in our lives that like we appreciate the offer and it didn't make sense right then. Right. So that March, we decided to start trying to have a family. Two weeks later, my brother, on the eve of his 21st birthday, was hospitalized for feeling suicidal. So um, there was kind of like this double roller coaster going on around one trying to conceive and, you know, realizing that that is something beyond your control. And then at the same time, watching my family kind of like careen into this crisis. So um, as it turned out, it was two months later, not even two months later, that I got pregnant and my brother died the same week. Oh, my gosh. I'm very sorry. Yeah, me too. Do you have a history of mental health struggles? I think a lot of folks in my family have probably undiagnosed anxiety and or depression. My brother's death kind of put it on the table in a way it hadn't been before. Yeah, was it talked about at all prior to that? Like when you were young? You know, my family is like pretty religious, pretty strong Christian. And I think they tended to think prior to this that mental health was something you could, I don't know, like pray your way out of or, um, you know, connect with other people your way out of or whatever, that medication may occasionally be necessary. But if you have your relationship with God right and your relationship with other people right, you can probably steer clear of it. So I think my brother's sudden descent really shook us, Um, you know, some more than others. But I think in particular, just watching how quickly from the outside, it seemed that he went downhill. And in retrospect, like, I think he was struggling a lot longer than we realized. But just realizing how um, acutely it could, I mean, he became a different person. And it was depression and anxiety that really, I think, um, made him want out. Did that teach you anything about having conversations with your daughter? I mean, I think the need to create safe spaces for it and to ask hard questions and to bring in professional support when needed. I think my brother, like to their credit, my parents took his struggles very seriously. And when they realized how bad things had gotten, they immediately sought help and got him into an inpatient facility, which, you know, even that can be really hard to do on a moment's notice. Hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that story. That's a brave thing to talk about. So yeah, one other thing I would add, you asked if I had a history of mental health struggles. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, certainly there was some depression, there was some anxiety. But for me, the bigger health challenge has been chronic pain, migraines. Oh, yeah. And years of dealing with that and in particular years of seeking answers and not always finding them and getting well-intentioned advice that isn't always helpful. You know, everything from like, oh, have you tried ibuprofen to just relax or whatever. Do you, you think can. I've tried ibuprofen? Yeah, I have, believe it or not. <laughs> um, so it made me sympathetic to where my brother ended up because chronic physical pain, like chronic mental pain, is just so torturous that sometimes death feels like an escape. So I remembered days, I mean, not all that long ago even, where the pain is so severe that you just think, wow, if I could push a button and not be here anymore, at least the pain would stop. And it's not so much about wanting to die or not being able to imagine a life worth living or not knowing that you're loved. It's just the pain is so intense that if that feels like the only way out, it's a welcome out. 
Yep. About striking really close to home. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to say it when I was in really bad pain. Like, it was like a carousel I couldn't get off. Yeah. Like, I just, you know, people are like, oh, it'll get better one day. Or it won't always be this bad. I mean, I had a neurologist. So like, I love him, and I still see him. But he told me, like, when I was 26, if nothing else, by the time I hit menopause, the migraines would go away. <laughs> it's like, oh, so That's just tough it out for want. 30 more years, mm-hmm. and then I'll be okay. So this episode is... We're just going to dive right in because there's so many things to talk about. Um, We're going to focus on the harsh realities of being a brand new mom. Things that people don't talk about that we wish they would have talked about or the things that shock you. One of those topics that I just want to address now is postpartum depression and anxiety. Um, There's so much to talk about there that I will be doing a full episode on that. I just wanted to acknowledge that it is such a big thing for brand new moms I'm not forgetting about it. It just deserves its own episode. So let's start at the very beginning, recovery from birth itself. It's different for everyone. I'm sure our experiences are very different. Could you share your experience for the physical aspect of recovering from delivering a baby? So I joked with you before we started recording. I feel like that was, for me, one of the easier parts because it was incredibly short-lived. And mm-hmm. it's, it sucks when you're in it. But compared to nine months of throwing up, which oh, yeah. is the case yep. for me, and compared to sl- sleep deprivation, which I know we're going to yep. talk about, and compared to trying to breastfeed or exclusively pump and trying to figure out how to work from home while you have a kid or work out of the home when you have mm-hmm. a kid, like compared to that, the physical recovery for me was brief. Um, did you have a C-section? Or I did, did not. You? Okay. And I... I don't ever want to do it again, but my birth <laughs> was as close to ideal as a first-time birth could be, which is, I know a lot of people have birth plans or birth wishes yep. or something, and you set out with a certain plan, and it doesn't go that way at all, and mine went pretty close to what I hoped for, but I remember, like, I had a friend who had a C-section for her first birth, and she came to visit maybe three days after I had my baby with her then two-year-old. And she couldn't believe I was, like, down on the floor playing with her two-year-old and could, like, stand up and walk around with my baby. And just, like, how quickly your body bounces back when, yeah, when you're not cut open and recovering from stitches and, you know, infections and all that. Well, even I wasn't cut open. I Mm. delivered, but, or vaginally, but um, with my first, I couldn't get out of the chair to go get the mail. Like, Mm. I, it had been a week and we decided to walk to the mailbox When I got back, I was like, I'm going to pass out. I just have to stay here. So, I mean, people say the recovery is really hard, but you, you have a nice experience. I feel like a lot of moms that I talk to don't have that nice experience. Like they're stuck in bed. My first and my second Mm. were polar opposites. Like my second, I was dizzy for about a week because I hemorrhaged. But other than that, like I felt physically better and I healed a lot faster my first one, it just took forever. Mm. And I felt like I couldn't do anything that I was before. Yeah. And you're supposed to somehow keep a little person alive. Mm-hmm. You've never had to do that before. That's something that I heard from moms also yeah. is you've just delivered this baby. Your body is healing and you're expected to keep that baby alive. First off, you don't even know what you're doing to keep that baby alive. And they just send alive. you home from the hospital with it. Yeah. <laughs> they say, see you in six weeks. Yep. That's crazy yep. to me. And then, yeah, and then your breath. Well, so that was actually hard. So, like, the part that pushed baby out healed faster. And and granted, like, 
10 minutes after it happened when they were stitching me up and they told me the anesthesia kicked in and it hadn't kicked in <laughs> like I would not have told you oh this is painless right but the fact that like a couple days later I could pee and it didn't hurt or something like that was mm. surprising to me but then comes like the pain of trying to have someone suck on your breast for hours yeah. a day and blistering I mean I remember like maybe when she was six days old I saw my baby chewing on something when she was breastfeeding and I was like why are you chewing on something and she had gotten a scab off my nipple and had it in her mouth so that was mortifying like that your kid is eating a piece of your skin um and that that part was certainly hard and again like it's like just recovering from the trauma of giving birth or having a Mm c-section is a lot and then just not sleeping for days is a lot and then just having a child screaming around the clock is a lot so I think when you take it all together and then add to that you can't even walk to the mailbox like yeah that's hard (laughs) so let's go to the breastfeeding then did you in your talking to moms what did you find about breastfeeding oh it's horrid I mean I think one of the often surprising things for women is like so much of motherhood right we're told your body just figures it out or like it's just natural or women just know how to do it. There's and nothing natural about it. I mean, it's natural in that your your body does make milk. <laughs> that you spend years natural. and years not making milk and then one day you come home with a baby and your breasts produce milk and you're like, how did that happen? But no, like how they latch and how they get enough and how they suckle and there are so many things that can go wrong. Yeah. And again, the sleep deprivation. Like again, there are other pieces that it's not just trying to figure out how to nourish your baby, but it's all the physical and emotional pressures that go with that. Yeah. And I just want to interject really fast yeah. and say I fully support like formula supplementing. We've had Absolutely. to do it with both of our girls. Like right. there's no shame. Or full in, formula. Yeah. Like, there's no shame in that. I, I think yes. there is a stigma still out there. I Absolutely. hate it. But I don't want this conversation right here to make people think like. But that's oh, only your best way. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I think, like, that's certainly something I heard in the interviews is just how much emotion. Like, it's it's bad enough, the physical toll of trying mm-hmm. to figure out how to feed your baby, but then, like, the emotional, the shame around, like, quote-unquote giving up or yeah. supplementing or whatever as if, like, it's a failure as a woman yeah. to not do that. And it's pushed yeah. so hard. It's so encouraged. But maybe, I don't know if you felt this, you're, like, shamed for breastfeeding in public. Right. So you like, can't breastfeed, you can, but you, you can't should only be breastfeeding, right? But don't do it when I can see it. Right, because breasts. Yeah. <laughs> don't say the word and don't yeah, make anyone uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, no, it's it's hard, and I think that's one thing that many women I spoke to found is not talked about enough, like that, that there's this assumption. I mean, I think that's true of getting pregnant for a lot of people. I think that's true of birth for a lot of people that there's Mm -hmm. an assumption that it just sort of happens naturally and easily and then when it doesn't people feel like what am I doing wrong or what's wrong with me or how am I failing as a woman as a mother as a wife as a daughter like because all these things are somehow tied to your worth as a human being right and it's not another thing that was hard I got this from so many moms is how lonely it is Mm -hmm. you shared your briefly that the pandemic affected that majorly for you. Yeah. And let me start by saying my pregnancy was somewhat lonely because I was so deep in grief and so mm. sick. Yeah. And so, and I was working full time all through my pregnancy. So I, I felt like my pregnancy was just about survival. And I, you know, like didn't have the energy or the time to see many other people. Like I think a lot of the social ties I had prior to becoming pregnant 
were cut off in some ways. So it was like nine months of kind of isolation. And then those early few weeks of motherhood where it's the middle of winter in Michigan and you can't really go anywhere and you're just trying to figure it out. And then five weeks later, like right when I'm ready to come out of my cocoon, (laughs) then the world shut down. So yeah, I think it was an extended period of loneliness beyond even what sometimes early motherhood is on its own. Something that one mom shared with me about being lonely is this baby doesn't talk to you, right? If your husband's lucky and gets paternity leave, then he's there at least. But if you're not, especially, you're sitting there in your quiet house, probably Netflix is on, at least it was for me the whole day. (laughs) And you're lucky if the baby smiles at you. So you're sitting there, all you're doing is nursing a baby. It's lonely. People want to come visit you, but you're taking health precautions. My With my first, the pandemic wasn't happening. And I still was very cautious with who I lent to my mm-hmm. house because I had anxiety about all the germs. Right. And so then the pandemic escalated that. Yeah. Yep. And then, I mean, I, I was well aware of that, right? That was one thing that was really concerning to me from the interviews I did was how it takes a village. And where is that village, right? Like we all know yeah. we need a community, but it. Like, no one just hands it to you on a silver platter. Yeah. And so, again, based on my interviews, based on the years of experience I'd had with other families and babies, I was all ready to be like, nope, we're going to go to postpartum yoga. We're going to go to mom's groups. We're going to, like, <laughs> make dates with my sister who had a baby a month before I did. Um, you know, like, I am going to stay connected. I'm not going to get that isolated. And then what do you do when they're like, it's not safe to see anyone or go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. And we don't really know how this disease is transmitted and we don't really know how fatal it is. And so the best thing you can all do is just stay home. It's like a yeah. horrible thing to tell a new parent. And not to mention, I was lucky that I had my baby right before things got bad. So I know of people who like, you know, could only bring their partner to the hospital or even yeah. like couldn't bring anyone to the hospital yeah. because they were in New York in March when they had their child. So yes, from pregnancy through the early days, through the whole first year or two, it was lonely. Both my girls ate constantly. I joked all the time that I was just a cow, but that's literally what it felt like. Mm -hmm. With my first, I remember my mom was here helping and um, my husband left for the day at like 6 a.m. And when he left, my mom and I were sitting on the couch watching Netflix, watching a TV show. I was shirtless, still trying to figure out nursing. Very glamorous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like in the movies. Uh Uh-huh. Probably hadn't showered all week. Yeah. Um... (laughs) And he came home 12 hours later. He walked in. My mom and I were still sitting on the couch. My shirt was off. I was nursing. And it literally looked like we hadn't moved. I mean, of course we had. We had eaten, luckily. and Maybe go to the bathroom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you're lucky. But he walked in and said, oh, you're in the same spot you were when I left you. And we laughed. But internally, I was yeah. screaming. And I like... I hated that he got to go out and live his life and I was here stuck with this baby. Of course, my mom was there to keep me company, but we we literally watched Netflix the whole day trying to figure out how to nurse and, you know, eat oatmeal three times a day. You know, it was, I literally, I printed pages of maps of local street maps and I started, like I made it my goal to walk every street I could. I, wow. I didn't, I, I thought I'll do like all of Ann Arbor. I didn't get that ambitious, but I just needed, 
an excuse to get out of the house mm-hmm. and I needed something to mark progress because you're right. It's like a groundhog's day. You feel like you're yep. doing nothing. You're accomplishing nothing. You're seeing no one. And I would like just take out my little highlighter and be like, I walked a three mile route today. <laughs> I walked <laughs> That's five awesome. Miles I couldn't today. even make it to the mailbox. Like <laughs> I, I said, mean, yeah, so. it wasn't, it wasn't immediate, but it was as the weather started to get warmer, like March, April, and there was still nowhere to go. Yeah. And I, yeah, I would just like, throw the baby in the car. And, and and I say that, right? Like just throw the baby in the car. That was not easy either. You're mm-hmm. like, I need a diaper and I need to change the clothes yeah. and I need layers because it might be cold. It might be hot and I need sunglasses. I need extra and I nursing need... pads because yeah. I'm like, you're like going to leak everywhere. <laughs> and the diapers. And... <laughs> and like you finally get everything together and you're like, shoot, the baby, you know, needs to eat now or yep. something. Yep. So yeah, I mean, it, like people say, oh, just get out. Oh, just take care of yourself. Just see people as if that's so easy and everything that you can do that can help you, there's a cost to mm-hmm. it. Let's talk about sleep deprivation. (laughs) Um, This was a huge one for me. With my first, it was one of my biggest struggles. Mm, It was probably about a week after I had my oldest. I started hallucinating because I was so sleep deprived. She, um, you know, they tell you your baby's going to be up all night. They don't. They don't really tell you what that means for you. They say you feed them, you put them back to sleep. You feed them, you put them back to sleep. My oldest would wake up and be up for two to three hours. And so I wasn't sleeping at all. I couldn't sleep during the day because the sun was out and she was needed to be nursed. Yep. I couldn't sleep at night. Um, about a month after I had Adeline, I went to my church services. And a woman asked me how I was doing and how Adeline was sleeping and I'm not one to just like give my emotions right away and so I was like oh I'm fine and I was like fighting back tears and she could tell that and she just said I'm coming over Monday at 11 o'clock I'm gonna hold your baby mm. because she wouldn't sl- Adeline wouldn't sleep unless I was holding her which was why yeah, I couldn't sleep during the day. yeah nuts. so she showed up Monday at 11 o'clock and held her and said you're gonna go close your door and you're gonna take a nap which me, it's really hard for, it was really hard for me to accept help. So I was like, no, 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 I'm fine. Like, it's okay. But sure enough, she showed up at my door Monday at 11 o'clock. I took a two hour nap. Adeline slept the whole time in her arms, which mm-hmm. of course she never sleeps in, like she never slept for two hours for me, but <laughs> I was so sleep deprived. I had no control over my emotions. I was having hallucinations. That is what I needed was someone to just hold my baby so I could sleep. That was with your first kid? That was with my first kid. And yeah. your second was post-pandemic. My, yeah. No, my second was born uh, like a year after the pandemic started. But she okay. she would wake up all night to nurse, but she would go back to sleep, whereas my first one would not. So it was just – I they were both very different babies. And with yep. the first one, the sleep was the issue. So – so we have this thing we call mom brain, right? Where oh you like can't gosh. remember words, you can't remember plans, you don't remember where you, you know, where you put your purse in the refrigerator or something. And I had never been a mom when my brother died, but I was sleep deprived when my brother died because I mean, just the raw grief of a sudden death like that, like you don't sleep well. And I remember thinking, this is what mom brain is. It's not mom brain, it's sleep deprived brain. Yeah. Like you don't remember things, you don't know where you are, you like start crying in the middle of the supermarket and you're not sure why. Like, yeah. I mean, it's grief, it's trauma, but it's also when you're not sleeping, your brain doesn't work right. Mm-hmm. And yes, completely agree. One thing we did that helped, and not everyone can do this, is um, my mother-in-law came to visit for the first few weeks. She actually didn't stay with us, 
but she would come over every afternoon and every evening and at like nine o'clock she'd send my husband and I to bed this is like the first three weeks and she would hold the baby until 3 a.m wow so for six hours we both slept and then I would get up and pump and then yeah. feed the baby and then I'd go back to bed my husband would get up so I mean we didn't often get more than six hours of sleep at least not in a row but like that six hours was golden and I think she yeah. would hold the baby the whole time so the I baby learned to sleep at that time yeah yeah and then when she left the baby continued to sleep at that time so she'd usually wake up at three that's nice but like nine to three i'll take yeah um, and then my husband and i for several months slept in shifts mm-hmm. so again even though we never got <laughs> to sleep at the same time or we never got eight hours in a row of sleep having even four or five hours is such a game changer versus yeah. having two or three that's really hard i don't know how you did it yeah a lot of moms shared that almost that same experience with me of you know, I would do one night, my husband would do the other night, my husband would do, you know, like we'd swap off. Um, I was not in a mental place with my first that I asked for help. Mm-hmm. And so I took every single night. My husband was in school and in my mind, your school, like you need your energy more than I needed it to take care of this baby. But I'm going to say something that some people might not agree with. Your husband can deal with it. He didn't just give birth. You did. Yep. So regardless of You didn't his carry job, the baby for nine months and deal yeah. with the hormones. I mean, he dealt with your hormones. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but regardless yeah. of his job, regardless of his stress, he can take night duties even once in a while. It's not going to kill him. Yeah. Like, you're trying to heal your body. Like, give, give that responsibility to your husband once in a while, which I didn't right. do. With our second, I was much better. But some moms I know are like me and they just take that responsibility on and it shouldn't be all on you he also took part in making that baby right (laughs) like you couldn't have done it alone and again I feel like you know I mean this might be controversial in some circles too but like you know it's patriarchy you know men have been running the world when it's like oh but women are just better at that you know women are just natural nurturers women just you know want to be with their baby and it's like women want sleep just like men do yep (laughs) and 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 again like not everyone has a male partner not everyone has a partner Mm -hmm. but yes to act as though like the sleep deprivation thing, the body trauma, the, you know, being alone with a baby all day and never seeing other adults, like to act as though that's just like a thing that women do and it's normal. It's, I mean, women have been birthing people for a long time, but women have been birthing people in communities and yes. with social support and they family have their support. village. <laughs> yeah. And when you don't have that, it's a ton to ask of a person. And then, yes, yeah. we're all at home feeling like, what's wrong with me? Why am I crazy? Why is it so hard for me? Well, yeah, We're it doesn't just affect you physically. It. it affects you mentally, yeah. like the mom brain. But it can, I mean, that alone is a factor that can lead to postpartum depression and anxiety, which, like I said, we're going to talk about at a different time. But yeah. um, sleep is a huge part of that. One piece of unsolicited advice I would give new parents is, like, learning it's okay to let baby cry. Like, I remember mm, going to visit yeah. a friend who was a new mom, and she was a single mom. So, like, God bless single moms. I don't know how they do it. But I came over, she thrust her six-week-old baby in my arms and said, can you hold her? I have to pee and I haven't been able to go all day. And I said, why haven't you peed all day? And she said, well, if I put her down, she cries. And, you know, like, you're important too. (laughs) Your bladder is important too. So I I think, like, we do – I don't know where we get that message that babies shouldn't cry. I mean, nobody wants to listen to a baby scream all day. like it's – when they're that young, they're crying for a need, not for a want. They haven't learned yeah. if I cry, I get what I want. You know, they're too young to understand right. that. I think for some people, it's harder to listen to a baby crying than others. 
And especially, like, if I hear a stranger's baby crying, it doesn't bother me. Right. If I hear my own baby crying, it's like... Your milk oh, lets cr- down. <laughs> yeah. So I think so that there is that yeah. aspect of it. But I totally get what you're saying. Like, let your baby cry. Look, like, even if it means, yeah, you go outside, put your baby somewhere safe where they're not going to fall off yeah. the bed, right? And just, like, go outside and breathe fresh air. Or, yeah. like... Yeah, call that lady from your church, your synagogue, whatever, and yeah. say, can you come by for 10 minutes? I need to be outside, not with my yeah. baby. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, you, you talked a lot about feeling like you couldn't ask for help. And I just wonder, yeah. like, where do we get that message that we can't ask for help? Well, that's a huge thing engraved in me <laughs> that, oh, man, I could talk about that for a long time. But um, my therapist has significantly helped me with that. Mm-hmm. And with my second baby, I asked for exponentially more help. So... Another piece of advice someone gave me early in my pregnancy, I was at a perinatal mental health conference. I work, I didn't mention this, I work in perinatal mental health now. And someone said, you know, one thing I always tell new moms is find your people, like even if you don't have the village as you would love it, find seven people that you can count on to check in on you Mm, and assign them a day and just say, mom, call me every Monday. Like, Mm. I don't care, you know, you can set a time, you can say, call me at noon every Monday, or you can just say sometime Monday show up, bring me soup, give me a call, give me a back rub, text me, just like, let me know that you're, (laughs) that there's another human out there thinking of me. And Tuesday is your mother-in-law and Wednesday is your sister. And, you know, like pick your people, but just so that you never go a whole day without someone saying, are you okay? I like that. And then it's up to you to be honest with them. If you say, yeah, Yeah, I'm fine. And that's a whole other issue. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I want to go through a list now. Some of the things we talked about, but I asked moms on the internet, mm-hmm. um, what was the hardest thing for them when becoming a new mom? I was really grateful that so many people reached out and gave me honest answers. I wanted to talk about some of them, um, but to give mm-hmm. you an idea, I had literally over a thousand comments to read, so I couldn't even get through them all. Um, and I'm sure there are going to be a million things that are missing. And one thing you hear there is people want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. They want to connect. Yes. Uh, one of the things I heard a lot was that people don't want to share their baby. And I think that part of that may be an anxiety thing for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but they just assume, you know, I bring my baby somewhere. Of course, they're excited for you. They want to hold your baby. But it's like, I want to hold my baby. I just grew in my case to like two girls I just want to hold my girl I don't want to share her with you have you ever heard people say that I've certainly heard it and I'm also thinking of one friend who had pretty bad postpartum anxiety and said she was terrified like even taking her baby to the grocery store that someone was going to steal her baby like she's like I knew it wasn't rational but I just thought like if I take my baby my eyes off my baby for a second someone's going to run off with her so I think like at one extreme, there's, yeah, some anxiety issues. At another extreme is, yeah, like, I worked hard to make this precious little person, and I don't want, like, they're mine, and I want them close to me, and I don't want some random person coming up and grabbing them from my arms. Right? It was just part of it, right? Like, boundaries. Same thing yeah. when you're pregnant and people come up and touch your belly. Like, my body, oh, not yours. Huge pet um, peeve there. <laughs> but then I think there's also a germ fear, right, yeah. that when people want to pass your baby around at a party and you don't know who's healthy and who's sick. Yeah. So I hear all that. That said, I... It did always kind of give me pause, given the, on the other hand, there's that need you talked about. I just want someone to hold my baby so I can Mm -hmm. sleep. And so I'm always the person I loved holding other people's babies. I've always been like, you know, if you need a baby holder, just let me know. And very rarely do people take me up on it. 
And I don't know if it's because they're like, don't come take my baby or if it's because <laughs> they don't think they can ask for help. So they don't. Yeah. But I desperately wanted someone to come hold my baby. Like, yeah, I adore newborns. I'm the person that will ask strangers if I can hold their newborns. And I was so excited to have my own. And I couldn't hold her all day, every day. I mean, like I said, I, I have migraines and yeah. your body just like, is so yep. tired by carrying a little person all day. Yeah. I think there's a bad assumption also is that people will just give you their baby. Like you walk up, people walk up and they're, they just grab her out of yeah. your arms. It's like, no, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, another one was that you're going to be a different mom than you thought you were going to be. And I totally get this. Before I had either one of my girls, I was like, no TV ever. You know, I feel like that, <laughs> that one's a common one. But um, there were a couple of things that I feel like I stood on really strong and held my ground with those beliefs. But it got to the point with both my girls that it was... It's like, I don't need to be a perfect mom that I imagined I was going to be. I just need to keep my girls alive. Like, and I'm in survival mode right now. Yep. Yeah. And I think the standards have gotten so high, right? Oh like, I think when we were growing up and certainly when our mothers were growing up, the standard was keep your baby alive. Yeah. And now it's like nurture your baby and educate your baby and make sure that your baby has good moral values when they're three months old. And they have and to look <laughs> pretty every day. And yeah. yeah. And you better look pretty and fit <laughs> yeah. and then lose that baby weight. And yeah, there's just so much pressure to do it all and make it look easy yeah speaking of baby weight a hard thing is dealing with your body afterwards i mean physically even if you have a c-section if i'm not wrong you're bleeding for six weeks yeah. right and like i mentioned earlier that you have your baby that you leave the hospital and they say six see you in six weeks they don't say, well, the next six, six weeks, you're going to have mood swings and you're going to have night sweats. They do say you're going to be bleeding. They do say it's going to be... sleep. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be hard to go to the bathroom. But it's a lot more than that. You, you think, oh, I'm going to deliver this baby. And there went all my, quote, baby weight. I don't believe it's baby weight. I can weight, go back but... to my old clothes. Yeah. <laughs> like... And you don't. That is a whole other issue that I've got another episode on. <laughs> okay, good. But that's a big thing that moms bring up is you've got this baby and you're frustrated with yourself because your body isn't what you want it to be. Right. And I think there's obviously tons of internalized messages about beauty standards mm -hmm. and thinness, certainly. But then it's not only how we feel about ourselves, but it's like, oh, will your husband still love you? Will your partner still find you attractive? Will other moms judge you because, you know, your hair is messy or whatever? And, yep. you know, I wish there were a magic solution, but... Yeah, like we're, we are our harshest critics and, Definitely. and the world is not kind. I had quite a few moms say that they didn't feel an instant connection with their baby. Um, they had to develop a bond, which we talked a little bit about your baby's not smiling. Like how do you bond with someone mm -hmm. that's showing no emotion to you? Um, I think that one, a lack of sleep could be contributing to that. Two, if you have postpartum depression or anxiety, it could definitely be contributing to that. But what did, did you find anything in your research about moms struggling to bond mm -hmm. with their babies? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it goes both ways. I think there are people who say I felt an instant connection. It was love mm -hmm. at first sight, whatever. And there are people who definitely didn't. But I, I think like romantic love, 
what's more commonly seen in the movies what's more commonly advertised on social media is the instant thing right i met my Mm -hmm. husband i knew he was the one i I held my baby and i couldn't imagine ever having another baby this was the only baby for me right and like maybe people who say that really feel that i don't know i do know that a lot of those people who are absolutely convinced they found the one end up divorced which was part of my obsession with studying marriage but you know like if if it were so divinely written in the stars it couldn't have been with anyone else then like three months later you wouldn't be leaving them so (laughs) i think we do each other and ourselves a disservice when we oversimplify the narrative and and again maybe that like i i had a better birth experience than some people do that said my husband will tell you when the baby came out which was really fast she came in like six minutes of pushing um but i tore and so they like put her on my chest and started stitching me and again Mm -hmm. like your mind is blurry i don't remember like if that was over the course of 20 minutes or five but i wasn't numb and they didn't believe me that i wasn't numb so they just started Mm -hmm. stitching me and i'm like i can still feel it i feel everything you're doing and they were like just look at your baby just you know like this is amazing she's in your arms just hold her and i'm like i can't focus on my baby when you were sticking needles through my very torn up (laughs) body parts and um, so, yeah, there wasn't an instant connection. I mean, it, it was cool, right? Like <laughs> there wasn't a baby here and now there's a baby here and mm-hmm. she's like kind of squishy and sort of cute. But I think that's one thing I've heard people say, too, is that they don't find them cute right away. They look like little they, squishy monkeys. They're aliens. <laughs> yeah. They totally look like aliens. Yeah. Very few babies are proportional. And then, <laughs> I mean, they get cleaned up and their head yeah. is less cone shaped and they get cuter and you fall in love. But mm-hmm. I think it's very common not to feel an instant bond and very disappointing for some people. Yeah. And it's hard, especially when they're in the NICU. With my first, she came out and I held her on my chest the entire time. Like instant love. Yeah, actually, it was <laughs> okay. it was like the hormones. I just remember feeling so warm, mm-hmm. and um, my daughter saved my life, honestly, for my for my mental health. Mm-hmm. And then my second one, she came out and she swallowed so much amniotic fluid that she was a little blue, and they pulled her and they were suctioning her. Mm-hmm her stomach and they kept having to pull her back and suctioning more stomach and then they took Ooh. her to the NICU and while my thought process was do whatever you have to to like make sure she's healthy and she's alive I was heartbroken that she was in the NICU and I didn't bond the same way that I did mm-hmm. with my first daughter just because she wasn't attached to me 24 7. I still love my daughter the same amount especially now but it was a different growing to love her experience than with my first. I did not realize before becoming a mom was being touched out is a real thing. (laughs) You laugh. You know what I'm talking about even before I describe it. And it's... My sister has three kids under four. We know what you're talking about. It's just motherhood in general. It's not even being a a new mom. Like, I feel like it extends. But it's a new experience for a new mom is all of a sudden you want no one to touch you. Like, you don't want your husband to touch you. You don't want to hold your baby. Like, you just want to be alone. You don't even want your skin your skin to touch your clothes. Like, no. your clothes feel constricting, which is why the baggy shirt, right? Like, you're just yeah. like, Ooh. And then, yeah, your tummy is bigger than it used yeah. to be. And so your pants feel constricting. Like, the whole world feels like it's closing in on you. You are literally touched out. Like, yep. yeah. Yep. That was a new one for me. Um, another thing, this is not from research. This is from my experience. But something I've struggled with is... You know, I've spent a lot of time feeling sorry for myself that my first year of motherhood was not what I expected, the social isolation, the loneliness, the pandemic. But then I try to go out and see people and it's hard. Like it's hard for so many reasons. Logistically, yeah. it's hard. 
um, trying to time it around when your kid needs to eat and when your kid needs to sleep and they need to be in their own bed is hard. And then like trying to navigate other people's parenting styles and, and when to say something in germs and, you know, like who's more careful than you and who's less careful than you, like whether that's about discipline or about, you know, COVID precautions or whatever. Yeah. Like it's such a mental puzzle Mm-hmm. to try to make it work that sometimes you just give up and you go like well forget it I don't even I'll just stay home just stay home yeah but then that's hard and so yeah. it feels like two bad choices is like I can stay home and be sad or I can go out and be incredibly stressed and the yep. traffic and your kids screaming in the back seat or yep. throwing up in the back seat or oh, something man. yep so again I don't know I don't have a non-pandemic motherhood to compare it to so I don't know if that's just normal or if the pandemic made it worse i think the pandemic has definitely worsened it but there were experiences my first before any of this that it was the same thing i would go to things and we would hit nap time in fact one of my suicidal moments with my oldest was we were driving home and it was nap time and i had convinced myself oh if i stay here like it will be fine she'll just fall asleep in the car she didn't she screamed the whole way home Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to drive off the side of the road. Mm-hmm. So I, I had one of those moments. <laughs> yeah. I think that it would happen pandemic or not. It's just things have kind of yeah. changed to the reasoning is more about the pandemic. So the same friend that asked me to hold her baby so she could pee. She asked me that week, that day, um, like, please tell me it gets easier. Mm-hmm. Like it won't always be this hard. Right. And my response to her, which, like, I have been living since, and it scares me, is it will be differently hard. Yeah. And I feel like since having this child, I have repeatedly asked friends to reassure me it gets better. I mean, one one reason I know it must get better is because people do it again. Yeah. And, like, it's been 20 months, and I'm still not in a hurry to ever do this again. Which like, you she's don't need great, to be. <laughs> and I love her. Yeah, but I don't know that I can do it again. And... I keep saying to friends with older kids, like, but, but it gets easier, right? Like, it won't always be this hard, right? Yeah. And what they keep telling me is little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems. Yeah, it's a different kind of hard for sure. And that's, like, a little terrifying for me. Like, some days my husband and I are just like, did we get, like, hoodwinked? Like, <laughs> are we all just, like, Stockholm syndromed into telling yeah. other people, parenthood is great. You should be a parent. So now I have a sister who's 26 and single, and I tell her, enjoy it. Like, yeah. your life is good and complete and you full. You cannot go back. And if you never have kids, it's okay. Yep. Like, I don't think anyone told me that. I think yeah. the assumption was just always, like, of course you'll have kids. To be a complete human, you need to have kids. And, yeah, there are some weirdos that don't. But, like, really, you should be a mom. And I don't know, like, maybe when my kid is 12 or 30 or 75, I'll be like, thank God I had a kid. But maybe... Maybe not. And I, I'm not going to say I regret having her, but I will say, like, my life is not more complete because I had a kid than it was yeah. without one. No, I totally... Controversial thing to say. No, I feel that I could have been happy working full-time the rest of my life, you know? And I think that if I couldn't have had a baby, I would have probably been very heartbroken. Right. But I would have still had something satisfying in my life that gave me value besides my kids. Yep. If you are in that new, brand new stage of motherhood, it's going to stay hard, but it's going to stay, it's going to be a different hard. And it's, if you're in a really, if you're in that really, really, really hard stage, don't give up because 
Things are going to change. You're going to get better at things. You're going to find things that work for you. You're going to find a support system. If you don't have it in this exact moment, that doesn't mean it's never going to come, which is hard to say and see sometimes when you're, you know, dealing with a lot. And here's what I'll add. It's okay to not love every minute. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's so much pressure. Like, I can't tell you the number of people that told me it goes so fast. It goes so fast. And I'm like, I'm in a pandemic and every day feels like a year. It is not going fast. Stop telling me it goes fast. Yeah. And like, will I look back and be like, man, blink of an eye? Probably. But it's not helpful to hear that when, <laughs> yeah, yeah, when you're just in the thick of it and, and you're not sleeping and you're exhausted and you sit on the couch for 12 hours or, or don't, but it looks like you did. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I just think like people maybe need permission to know that you don't have to enjoy every minute. Enjoy some moments, you know, find, find the good ones and treasure them and like file them away in your head. Be like, that was a good moment, but it's not all of them and you don't have to apologize for not loving every minute. Yeah. Thanks. Well, we could um, probably keep talking about this for hours, honestly. But (laughs) thanks, Charity, for being willing to share your story and your expertise on this. Um, I've learned a lot. I like having conversations like this. Thank you. But thanks for listening. This is Mom's Gone Mental, and I'm your host, Sarah Witt.